Welcome. I'm Megan Smiley, and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've followed the rules, worked really hard to climb the ladder, but are looking around now and thinking, is this it? Is this my life? I hear you. You want more. You want freedom, fulfillment, purpose. But you don't really see how that's going to happen in the traditional work world. You're entrepreneurship curious, but it seems daunting and risky and sort of just unrealistic. In this podcast, I'm going to help you see just how possible it is to build a business and by extension, and really importantly, a life that you'll genuinely enjoy waking up to every morning. Hey, everyone. My guest this week is Laura Tyrrell. She is an executive coach with over 25 years of experience as a legal and business leader. Her legal career has really spanned the gamut of of arenas. She clerked and then ended up working in government at an agency, went into private practice, got called back in at the executive branch, working in the White House for a while, made her way back to private practice as a partner, Uh, had in-house experience from there, and now has transitioned into being an executive coach for lawyers and other professionals. So she really brings a wide range of experience to this conversation, and I really loved sort of hearing from her about how she navigated each of those transitions and her advice, both for the navigating of it and the pluses and minuses of different environments for practicing law. Uh, And we talk a lot about, you know, it's interesting. I, of course, am more about leaving practice than staying in practice. Um, But the truth is that both of us have a similar thought process on it, which is that where you start with is asking yourself about your values and your strengths and letting that guide where your path takes you um, rather than sort of blindly following a path because it makes sense or sort of knee-jerk reaction, quitting everything and walking away. Um, So I think it was a really helpful conversation and uh, maybe a little different from some of my conversations in that she had, although varied, a a bit more of a trend traditional career. Um, But I have been hearing from, from a lot of you for whom... You do want to stay in law and are looking for how to navigate that um, because you enjoy the practice. And so this one is for you guys. I hope you enjoy. I really enjoyed this conversation I had with Laura. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Megan. It's great to be with you. Yeah, I'm so excited to have this conversation. So I'd like to start with my guests sort of in the similar place of how did you get to law school and the practice of law in the first place? Oh, that's a that's a great question. And I think often later in your career, people forget to ask you, how did you start doing all of this? So I yeah. love the introduction. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I did not grow up in a family where I knew lawyers. I don't have other attorneys in my family. It wasn't a goal of mine since I was five years old. It wasn't something that I really had a sense of, I want to be a lawyer even well into high school and even I would say somewhat into college. I became more interested as I started thinking about things that you could do with a law degree. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I went to law school after college because I had thoughts that I might like to work 
Um, as an employment lawyer, I might like to represent people who felt that they had been discriminated against or had experienced um, a job loss that was um, unfounded, possibly in violation of law. And that was something I thought that I might want to do. Ironically enough, I've ended up never practicing in that space. <laughs> I think it's quite common, actually. I can't tell you the number of people I've had this conversation with who get into law school for, I think, something really, which makes sense, justice-oriented um, or something just very specific and just the tides take you in a different direction. I think that's right. What I did end up doing initially for many years out of law school was working in the public sector and mm -hmm. in the federal government. And I was very interested in that because I thought it combined two things that I really enjoyed, policy and the, the work of creating policies around issues that affected people, whether that was congressional, whether that was in an executive branch agency in the federal sector. Mm -hmm. I initially worked in an agency, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, which was not anything that I had a background in, but I was really intrigued by the idea of using regulations and rules regarding financial transactions and financial crimes to be mm -hmm. able to make a difference for people. And one of the first things I did was shutting down boiler rooms, for example. Mm. Uh, back in the day, you know, the gold ads, they're still up to some degree today, you know, buying gold and we'll hold your gold for you and we'll hold your silver. And people were paying a lot of money to what were basically just fraudulent operations. And I felt really good about doing something that was really very consumer focused. So in a sense, I suppose I, I did follow the path of doing something that I was passionate about, which was helping people, helping consumers. Yeah. And that was very different for me. I had no background, but I really liked the idea of investigations as well. Mm. And a lot of my work as a financial enforcement attorney forced me to get more savvy about finances, about markets, about um, futures, about commodities, about options, lots of things that you don't necessarily go to law school for. And it ultimately made me really, really interested in the world of investigative work. Yeah, that's so, it's so, like, I ended up doing securities law, which I also had no <laughs> background in. You're just, it's it's interesting how you come out of law school and you follow your interests, but end up learning about whole swaths of the universe that you didn't really know that were of interest to you. But that sounds more interesting than most people's first steps out of law school, frankly. <laughs> well, I also, when I left law school, and I often share this part of my story as well, I clerked for a year for a federal judge, which I just really enjoyed. Yeah. I had an offer from a firm after that to be able to move directly from the clerkship to the firm, but it didn't feel like the right law firm at the time. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like a great fit. And about the time I had to confirm to them that I was going to be joining them, which was about a month or two before my clerkship ended, yeah. I decided to call and say, I really appreciate this, but I've decided to go in a different direction. Mm. The challenge for me was I had no idea what direction that was going to be. I had no plans. I had no other offer. I had really not a lot of idea of what I wanted to do. Oh, and wow. Instead, here I was, a newly minted lawyer who had passed the bar, I had a federal clerkship under my belt, and I decided to take a few months and go traveling. I went to Europe, I hung out, I visited some friends, and then I started thinking about what I wanted to do. And I put applications in with some firms, with some federal agencies. The way that I really came to enjoy my work at the CFTC was I was intrigued by the people that worked there. I liked the idea of doing investigative work, and I thought, hey, why not? So I also didn't have a 
master plan when I graduated law school, much less a year later when I was with my clerkship. Right. That must have been hard because there is this, you know, graduating, getting a clerkship. These are all sort of on the traditional path of like, yep, you're doing it. You're, you know, getting the offer at the firm. You know, it takes a certain amount of being centered, I think, to to resist the sort of just getting taken (laughs) by that flow. I think for me, it gave me an opportunity to be brave early in my career Mm. and try something different. And that carried over when I've made a lot of shifts in my career. I've done a lot of different things since then. And one of the questions I'm often asked is, how did you know it was right to jump to the next job? Or how did you do that? And part of it was having that experience of taking the opportunity to do something different that I thought would be really good. And I might not have that opportunity again, came back to me at different stages in my legal career. Yeah. And also having learned, I would imagine that you took the risk and it all worked out, right? I think sometimes our lawyer brains are like, you just got to stay on the path, like risk, risk, you you know, you sort of, you learned early on this sense, perhaps that, that you can take a risk and be resilient and things find a way of working out rather than the earth is going to fall on us. And sometimes when they don't, they work out yeah. anyway, or yeah. you find a different way. But I think that's interesting that you mentioned that. Yes, I think lawyers are very risk averse, not just because there's a certain way of looking at the profession, maybe when you come out of law school, but we're taught as lawyers to spot risk, right. to see where it exists, to help clients guard against it, to find ways to avoid it, to find ways to deal with it. And when things go wrong, to put in place parameters so that you're not taking those risks again. That's what we're doing professionally a lot of the time with our clients, whether it's in drafting a contract or in putting in arbitration clauses or handling some other aspect of a client's legal needs. We're always guarding against that risk. And I think that does make many lawyers more risk resistant. earlier in their careers as well as later. Yeah. It makes sense. And a skill that can make you a very good lawyer can sometimes be a roadblock to figuring out your own sort of aligned path is, is what I have seen at least. So how did you, you know, you mentioned, you know, your career evolved and you took some risks. Where did your career go from sort of the government investigative side of things? After I was in a federal agency for a few years, I decided I really wanted some experience working on the business side with clients, and that led me to going to private practice. I joined, again, a practice that was very investigative-focused, compliance, investigations, Mm -hmm. complex litigation, but heavy on the investigation side and white-collar work, which was what I had really learned and cut my teeth on as a a financial enforcement lawyer. Mm. So I went to private practice. I learned from some terrific people. One of those roles that I was working on with one of the partners that I had a great deal of admiration for led me to working more closely with with that person. Ultimately, that person moved into the White House Counsel's office and asked me to join the White House Counsel's office, which Ah. was a tremendous opportunity. But as you say, a number of people, I think, were really happy for me, but also puzzled, like, what are you going to do there that... You know, you're getting paid as an associate at a big white shoe, white collar law firm. What would you be doing there? And what I did was so entirely different Mm. during my tenure there. And actually, 
went to the White House, then I worked for a couple of years at the Department of Justice in a very senior role. And then I came back to the White House and it didn't look a lot like the day-to-day life of a litigation associate at a big law firm. But what it did teach me was a lot of skills that I probably would not have gained as early in my tenure at the law firm, uh, like managing people, like understanding how to work um, in a cross-agency process, about having clients that always aren't happy with you and that are demanding and don't pay you, by the way. You're, right. you're a captive <laughs> client. captive client for you. You're right. their captive lawyer. And yeah. I learned a lot of things from that that were incredible. I worked in um, uh, areas that required security clearances. I worked in national homeland security. I did very complex litigation cases. I worked with clients that were new clients. I was in the federal government when the Department of Homeland Security was created. And that was really a whole new experience as well. Suddenly clients that were part of an agency I'd worked with were going to this new agency and figuring out what our relationship was going to be like. And grappling with that was also a lesson in things, how things shift. Years Mm -hmm. later, when I was in private practice and clients would divest part of their business or they would make an acquisition. I would think back to that because I got my first experience with that really on the federal side, which is unusual. Yeah. And what an opportunity, right? Like, you know, working at the, for the, you know, in the White House is not a job that falls into everybody's lap, right? It is. It's a great opportunity. And I think it also gave me a chance to really see the way lawyers moved in a more policy centered way, which is Mm -hmm. what I had initially been more interested in when I graduated law school, but which I had done less of because as as a trial attorney, as an investigations attorney, I was really not engaged in the policy side. And I got to be part of that. And when I came into the White House and the Department of Justice, and those were roles that enabled me to see the impact of policy. And sometimes realizing that we could propose a policy change or propose a rule or a regulation that might alter risk or might alter exposure or might alter our litigation strategy going forward and seeing how that worked and how we had to make um, arguments for making those changes, getting getting support, whether it was congressional or rulemaking. Those were things that I also would not have experienced otherwise. And they gave me a real eye-opening into the intersection of policy and law. Yeah. I'm curious sort of what your take is, because I would say there are people I talk to who are like, oh, it would be cool to go work for the Department of Justice or somehow in a more you know governmental policy oriented role, um, but it feels very hard to get into. I'm curious sort of in general what your take was on the transition from, um, you know, a private practice to government and if there's any specific advice you would give to people thinking about a transition like that? Well, I think it's like a lot of other transitions. You have to evaluate what your priorities are, what your values are. Uh, Most people don't go to the public sector to make more money. That generally isn't the case. Even when you're a political appointee as I was or a high ranking official, uh, your your pay is is not that of an entry level lawyer, but you're not getting paid what people are making in private practice. So one of the values you have to ask yourself about is, do I want to do something that won't pay me as much? Can I afford to do something that won't pay me as much? Another issue that comes up for many people is I'm not going to have maybe some of the trappings of law, some of the support you're going to be working with, you know, not a secretary that's just assigned to you, not um, 
maybe working on a small practice team. You might be working with a lot of attorneys. I came into managing at the Department of Justice almost 300 attorneys Mm. in the group that I was managing with. I really relied upon them to help me figure out what was important for me to support them in, what was important for me to lead on. And that was one of the early lessons in trusting the people that you work with when they're really good. And I will say the best lawyers I've ever worked with in so many respects were the lawyers that reported to me, the lawyers that were part of teams that I supervised at the Department of Justice. And every day I would think, I'm really lucky to work with people that are so much smarter than I am on this Mm -hmm. issue. I get to learn a lot here. And that's a rare feeling as well. But it's not for everybody. Some people want to make sure that they're moving in their career always in a place where they're in more senior roles, um, maybe where they don't have the people management. It also taught me a lot of people management skills, which I would not necessarily have gotten in a firm where I would have been not in a managerial place, perhaps that early in my career. Right. I mean, I think generally speaking, firms could do a better job of training us all to be people managers. So good to come in with some of that experience, I would imagine, because you did ultimately transition back to private practice, right? I did ultimately do that. And my, in part, my time in government had come to an end for me financially. I needed Mm -hmm. to move into a role where I could pay some debts and be able to make some more money. But I was also really ready to move into a place at that time in a more senior role where I had the opportunity to build a business as a partner, to be able to run my own P&L, which was something that I really felt passionately about, Mm -hmm. to understand client needs, to share my expertise from the government with clients that wanted to know, how do I interact if the Department of Justice comes knocking with a subpoena? How do I deal with this issue if it comes up? How will I negotiate a resolution in a litigation? What's the decision-making process inside look like? And I felt like I could actually help businesses now, and I could be on the different side of things and really build my own business in, in a cogent way. So it was a big transition for me. I was, again, fortunate to have a lot of people that supported me. I did not directly come into a firm as a partner. Um, I came out of government as a counsel in a private law firm, and that firm gave me a lot of support to build a practice, build my private practice chops, if you will, to have client interaction. And that gave me confidence. I knew that I was not going to walk away from the government with a big book of business. You don't. You don't have people calling you just saying, let me hire you. You have to be able to convince them that you're someone that's trustworthy, someone that has a good reputation, that has the skills to be able to take them through a negotiation or a litigation with the federal government. And it took me a few years to build that. So when I was elevated to partner, I also felt like I'd had the time and the support to do that work. Mm -hmm. And what was your experience of, of sort of being a partner in big law? One of the things I often share with people is that There were two things that I really valued that made it a good experience for me. One was I really liked the people that I worked with. I had great colleagues and people that were incredible mentors, incredible support, as I mentioned. And two, I found that I liked the business side of law. Mm. And for a lot of people, that's not something they enjoy. Um, It's not something you get taught in law school. I did not go to law school understanding what you know, ROI looked like on a case that was leveraged with 10 associates and three partners. I didn't have any framework for being able to evaluate that. But I found 
ways to ask questions. I found ways to investigate and research and understand how we ran the law firm. And I was fortunate to work in a firm that was fairly open and fairly transparent with the partnership and also nurtured senior associates and counsels to learning those practices. So I learned why it was important to bill my time, why we had to collect on fees, why you don't like to have write-offs. And those are things I might've learned in a business environment or in a business school class, but I did not learn them in law school and I did not learn them in the early years of my legal career. And when I did start learning them, I found that that was something I really liked. And it's something that I enjoy to this day. I work with a lot of clients on understanding the business of their firms because many people are frustrated by that or realize they need to learn it because you can't be a shareholder in a firm without really understanding some of the financials or they need to adapt their practice and they don't understand what the firm is looking for. So those are things that, that mattered to me. I liked the business side of it and I like talking with other people about the business side of it. I liked having a business mindset around law. Yeah. Which is a necessity now, right? Like it's, it's interesting. I I certainly didn't learn anything like this in law school and having worked at a law school for almost a decade, I know they're trying to add more practical things in, but this sort of business side of, of how law firms work is still not something I see being taught with any regularity. And I think a lot of people, you know, get into a firm and they're good at doing the work, but then realize that really, you know, in order to get to the you know, partner level, there's this entirely different side of the business and the work and that kind of understanding the business side of things and the networking side of things that is required. And I think a lot of people feel very uh, sort of afloat, not knowing how to do that part of the work. I think that's absolutely right. And I talk to so many people who say, I didn't realize that I was working for a complex corporate entity when I came to work in a big law firm or even a medium-sized firm. But some of the biggest law firms in the world rival members of the Fortune 500 in terms of the amount of revenue they bring in annually. And when you're managing that level of work and business and money, it's a business operation. That's why firms have chief financial officers. That's why they have talent officers. That's why they have people that are managing a ton of the infrastructure in and around the firm, the days of having a single chair of a, let's say, 500-person law firm who manages the people, manages the finances, makes all the decisions around it, it's an impossible job for one person. You're talking about running a company as much as you are running a legal business. And I think you're absolutely right, Megan, that law firms could do a much better job, in particular, just training younger associates to think with a more business-oriented mindset, or even to help them understand how much of that is required in their practice, or how much of that the firm is looking to them to do. And that will vary a bit amongst law firms as well. Yeah, um, You certainly see that in the structure of some firms that have an all-equity partnership are looking for people to be able to drive in business and really be able to meet the financial needs. There are other firms that have partners that perhaps they're not the business generators, but they are incredibly skilled and talented lawyers who are valued and are not serving in that capacity with their firms. But I think you need to understand what your firm's expectations are early in your career so you can say, hey, this is either not the firm for me, or this is the firm for me, and this is what I want to do, or maybe it's the law firm structure that doesn't work for me, and I need to find something else outside that. But having that 
bit of information to understand what is it I'm being evaluated on? How will I thrive here? What's the expectation for me as a practicing lawyer three years down the road, five years down the road, 10 years down the road? Those are things that people need to have explained earlier, I think, in order to make the choices that are right for them. I couldn't agree more. And I recently have had a couple of conversations kind of around this, people getting you know, into their eighth, ninth year, and then all of a sudden realizing they needed to ask themselves those questions. And I, 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 you know, whether this is right or wrong, I think the reality is that there isn't necessarily a ton of transparency or a, a lot of structure around teaching associates this. And so it's, it's sort of incumbent upon the, the, associate to self-educate again i you know whether that is the right way for things to be structured or not it seems that it just sort of is the truth of the matter right now so to own asking yourself what you want and what your how your firm functions and going out and figuring out the answers to some of those questions you just posed i think that's right and the more information that you have the more data that you have to be able to look at the situation you're in, what constraints may be around it. You want to be a partner at this firm. You're going to need to generate X amount of business. You're going to need to do it consistently over a number of years. You're going to need to bill at this level. Having that information and even understanding what the partnership process looks like, the more information you have, the more power you have to be able to take action and to be able to make better decisions for yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, you were a partner at a firm for a while, but ultimately transitioned out of that as well. Tell me about that. I was was an equity partner at two very large firms, loved my practice, but it is a very demanding life in some aspects. And I found that I was doing a lot of client management, a lot of business development, a lot of financial management, which I enjoyed, and a lot of mentoring, coaching, teaching. And it's hard to fit all those things in the day at a private firm. I left private practice to work in-house for a while, which I also enjoyed. Um, I got to work in a publicly traded company, which was something that I had not done before, but I felt like a lot of my great relationships with clients in private practice had helped me to see the intersection of business interests, and law interests, or sometimes the conflict between legal right, interests and right. business interests. <laughs> From and the business was, side, that's almost always yeah. <laughs> the lawyers. <laughs> and that was something that um, was profoundly interesting to me. But I also have always really enjoyed the side of working with lawyers on the non-substantive legal questions. Look, I, I love being a lawyer. I work now as a um, part-time general counsel for a, for a nonprofit, 501c3 which gives me all kinds of things that had my way. But what I really wanted more time to do was connect with people about how they lived their lawyer life, how they wanted to move forward. I wanted to have honest conversations with people who, like some associates that would come to me and say, you know, this, this area of practice isn't for me, or I'm just not sure that this is the right trajectory for my career. I don't know that I want to be a partner here. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to do something else, but I'm not sure what that is. And you don't have as much time in the day as a practicing full-time lawyer, particularly in a private law firm, to be able to share that. And I found one thing that I wanted to do was really connect and engage with people more deeply. So coaching lawyers 
is something that gives me that opportunity. And it gives me the way to connect with the parts of lawyer life that are most meaningful to me, which are the people that are involved. Yeah. Did you have anyone look at you like you had two heads and were crazy for walking away from that business that you had built and that sort of the prestige of being a partner at a big law firm? I had a number of people that I think tried to, in all honesty, look out for me and say, would you consider doing something else? Or what about moving to a different firm? And it really wasn't that I disliked my work or or my firm. I was great practice, but it had me traveling quite a bit. It had me quite busy. And I felt the lack of connection, Mm -hmm. both professionally and personally in a way that wanted to transform for me. And again, coming back to that, what did I do when I left law school? I had a job that I really enjoyed. And then I said, you know, this clerkship's been great, but I'm going to take a risk and do something else. And for me, that risk taking has always been present in my career. And so I felt like, yeah, I mean, what's the worst that happens? I do this. I don't like it. I can go back to lawyering. One thing I found was that I liked having a hand in active legal work. So I do that as the general counsel for a 501c3 that gives me a lot of fulfillment. And I get to work in a totally different legal space than I ever worked in in private practice. Right. I get to work on things that really stretch my brain. And I remember also now what it's like to talk to clients that are not lawyers. Right. And after years of working lawyer to lawyer, I'm, I'm working with people who are not um, lawyers or paraprofessionals in the legal profession. I'm working with business clients that need help on a lot of areas that I have to stretch my brain to think about. And I have to stretch my brain also to make sure I'm doing it in a way that's most helpful for them. And that gives me a whole different perspective on lawyering. So for me, I think the risk has been pretty worth it. Yeah. And I I love to see like your sort of story because I think it's great evidence that I think we often, a lot of us go to law school think thinking there's this very like clear road and that the pinnacle of it is being a partner, for example, and that that's sort of, all right, I'm now where I am. And and to see that careers evolve and that there's nothing, it, it nothing even has to be wrong. It could just be that it ran its course and there was a new challenge out there that that's, that's not, there's nothing has gone wrong. It's just that we evolve as people and we want to grow in different directions and that you don't, you know, nothing has to be quote unquote it. (laughs) One of the things I often talk about with clients who are weighing whether to leave their law firm is, you know, why is it you want to leave what's motivating? And some of them will say, you know, I'm just not good at developing business or I don't have, a really good path to promotion. Um, I don't have the client base that I'd really like, but many times I just hear this just doesn't align right now with where I want to be. I want something else. It's a different time for me. It's a different phase of my life. I have different priorities. I certainly think the pandemic has made many people think about that. What are my values? What are my priorities? And that's often... I think the most compelling reason to make a shift. And for me, I still value the work I did in private practice. I value the work that I was able to collaborate on with terrific people. I mean, those people are why I'm coaching now is because I had great relationships with them and I felt like I had the opportunity 
to coach them. I had the opportunity to be coached by terrific people who did me a great service, but that became more important in my value and priority bucket than it did to be a practicing lawyer for a 40, 50, 60 hour week. Right, right. And what I hear in there, and you know, I imagine this is part of the work that you do with clients is to really get clear on those values and priorities. I mean, that, that we, we don't all have to have the same ones at any given time in our career. And that I think we have so many voices, even like you said, the, the voices sort of try well-meaning voices trying to sort of say, this is, you could do this because this is kind of known and familiar to us. And, and rather than taking all of your cues from outside definitions of what like a good path looks like, really asking yourself what your priorities are. Is that sort of your approach? Absolutely. And many prospective clients come to me because they are interested in advancing. That might be to move into a senior role in-house. It might be to be promoted to partner. Or it might be to take on a non-legal role that's running a business line. I've had people that have shifted from law to the business. Mm. But when people raise those transitions with me and say, this is what I think I'd like to do. One of the first things I want to explore with them a bit is why they want to do it and what they know about that role. Mm. Many times people say, I want to be promoted within my company and I think I could move into um, a director of this business line, or I think I could be a partner in the firm. And I ask them what they know about the path to get there, what it's like, how they would make that happen, what the time frame is. And often it's just kind of a, a goal, but the definitions around it are vague. Um, for example, someone that may want to move into partnership, but doesn't really know what the partnership landscape looks like for election. Mm-hmm. or how their practice group fits in, or what kind of support they would have within the firm, or what that might look like as a partner. Would you be putting in a, a substantial amount of capital that you right. don't really want to have tied up in the firm? Would you be um, asked to make some shifts? Maybe you'd need to move to a different office because there's a need for more leadership in a different office for partners than there is in the office you're in. And when we start exploring some of those things, I find sometimes clients change what their goals are because the more information, again, the more data and information they have around what something looks like in practice, it can be very different than just that idea that we should be a partner or we should be in charge of a line or we should be doing this or we should be in this practice area. Right. Right. I think that's so true. Just have making really informed decisions about what your goals are rather than default goals because they seem like the quote-unquote next step? Well, I'll tell you something, Megan. One of the (laughs) things that I'm constantly surprised by is sometimes people are afraid to ask. I was working with a client recently that was interested in moving into partnership in their firm and was afraid to ask questions of people that supervise them and others in the firm do you see me as a partner in this firm? Do you think there's a path for partner for me in this firm? And how would I get there? The response the client gave me when I said, have you asked anybody that? Because those seem to me like great questions to start the conversation was, I'm afraid that they might tell me 
I don't think there's a path for you, or this path is pretty long, or you have a good shot at this, but it's going to take another three years of work. It won't be a partnership in the next year. Right. And my view is it's better to ask the question and get the information because otherwise you don't know what the path might look like, what the obstacles might be, what the opportunities might be. You might hear again that somebody says, we don't really have space for our partner in our Boston office, but we are growing that practice in Dallas. Would you be open to moving to Dallas? Because we have the capacity to move somebody there. We have the capacity for leadership, but you need to know those things. Right. It's so funny. It's like this idea that like, if I just don't ask somehow the answer, (laughs) you know, the answer is still the same whether you ask or not, but then you know, <laughs> which sounds well, obvious, lawyers, of course. I think lawyers but... <laughs> are scared of uncertainty sometimes, yes. right? Yeah. yeah, They're terrified about, again, that risk that something could happen that is not in their plan or not in what they'd like to hear. Right. And I have had those conversations. Sometimes it's very painful to hear that the promotion that you're looking for is not something that your supervisor sees for you or your opportunity to move from in-house to private practice may not be with the kinds of firms that you've been looking at, maybe with a different type of firm, maybe smaller, maybe in a different region, maybe in a different practice area. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know that and you're afraid to ask about it, you'll never really know what is open to you. I also find that sometimes people hear, you know, three years. Okay. That gives me a good time to be able to work towards this. I know what I need to do. I, I need to start mapping out the steps. And I'm, I know I'm not quite ready, but I also know that if the firm's not looking at me for three years for partnership, that gives me more time to marshal my arguments and to marshal my campaign for that. Right. Right. And, and like, I I also, I suspect that there's this part that, you know, to even be in these positions, everyone's very smart, very accomplished. You've always sort of been top of the class kind of energy and, the thought of asking and being told that maybe that isn't the path that they see for you there, I think is like a gut punch that a lot of people are scared to get. But the truth is whether you ask them or you find out later, you know, it doesn't avoid the gut punch. It just makes it a gut punch. (laughs) And I realize that a lot of people that are making shifts or making decisions are like many of the people that you talk to on your podcast, looking at or guiding other people through mid-career shift changes. Um, It's often, you know, maybe you've practiced law five, 10 years, maybe a little bit longer even. And so mid-career looks a little bit different maybe for everybody, but it's generally after you've been practicing for a while as a lawyer that you start to contemplate, is this the right place for me? And sometimes more senior people say to me, well, I've been in a law firm for 10 years. I don't really know what else I would do. I've just always assumed that I'd find a path here. Right. And I'm I'm scared to see what else might be out there. Or is anybody even going to hire me with this much experience? And I think that's a tough way to look at it. I try to flip the script a little bit and I share with people that I think you have a lot of superpowers when you shift your career midway through. Yeah. First you know more about what you value and what you don't because you've had some experience learning things you like and things you don't like so much. Yeah. You also have broader experience. So in some respects, you have more options open to you. When you've been in charge of a major litigation, you've managed people, you've been strategic, you know, project management, you don't just have skills with contracts 101. 
you you have lots of other things that you bring to the table. Or maybe you've been um, in charge of the summer associate program and you're really good at teaching and you're really good at learning and training and you'd like to move into something that's more learning and training. Maybe you want to go teach. Maybe you want to be an adjunct or a full-time professor. You also have a network of people mid-career that's very different from what it looks like in the beginning. And you have people that you can reach out to and say, hey, I know you made a shift to doing this, or you're with a company that I really find fascinating. You know, How did you get there? What's it like? What does it feel like on the inside? For some people, that network is not just professional. It's parents that you meet through your kids at school. It might be in your church or synagogue. It might be in a volunteer or a charity organization you work with. And you've just developed a broader fabric to your professional and personal life that gives you places to draw on. So I think those are all great superpowers. And I really do try to remind clients about that. Yeah. Yeah. So how do people work? How do you typically work with clients? What does that sort of look like? It varies. I have some clients that I have worked with for several years. Maybe they have um, decided to really pivot their practice and they're changing how they manage. They're changing how they develop clients. They have a long-term business development plan. I have other clients that I work with for a long time on partnership strategy, for example. And then I have clients that are also looking to make a shift maybe to a different role and are looking for shorter-term help. Maybe that's on getting ready for interviews, thinking about how they identify particular places that they go. So I work with some people over the course of several years. I work with some people over a few months. And I do some, some people, you know, I work with for a much shorter period. I also have law firms that engage me to work with their um, attorneys, often where they see somebody that's struggling, maybe a new partner that's just come into partnership and trans making that transition, making that pivot from being an associate or a counsel role to being in a partner role can be challenging on a lot of levels. Yeah. Yeah. And if people are curious to learn more or get in touch with you, what's the best way for people to contact you? I have a website, Laura Terrell, L-A-U-R-A-T-E-R-R-E-L-L.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram at Laura Terrell Coaching, and those are great ways to catch up with me. Awesome. Well, Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I think you have some really interesting perspectives from like different angles on practice and the evolution of a career. And it was really, it was interesting for me to hear about your, your evolution. And I know it will be to the audience as well. So thank you so much. Well, I am most grateful for the opportunity to chat with you, Megan. I'm a big fan of the podcast and I love hearing from others who are making transition or shifts in their lawyer life. So pleasure to be with you.